0: Welcome back, folks, to another Ag Watchers. We have a special guest with us. It's been a little while, Andrew, since we've had one, but uh, this particular guest is all the way from Geneva, but with a I think he just snuck across the border when he got born into France. So there's a bit of a French accent there. It's Hugo Boudet, and um, he's an analyst at AgFlow, one of our partnership roles there. But um, we're going to have a chat to Hugo about uh, a bit of climate stuff. But before we do that, I believe, Andrew, you've got a sponsorship deal. Yeah, well,
1: we don't normally have sponsors on the show. We've we've always said we wouldn't have sponsors, but it, there's always always a time for change. We've got to adapt. It costs a lot of money to run this podcast. So we've mm-hmm. accepted a sponsorship for this for this one episode. So I'll just let's just go through the spiel of the sponsor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right on you, 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 you,
0: you sprung this upon us, so I'm just waiting to see if we have fading it is I suspect it's rubbish, but let's go.
1: It's that time of year you were supposed to be exercising through the winter to get your beach body, and it's taken too long. Now this is how you get your beach body with the White Law Diet. (laughs) All you have to do is head into Melbourne on a Saturday or Sunday, eat at one of their, their fabulous restaurants, pick up a bug, four days later, you'll lose 10 to 15 kilos on the White Law Diet.
0: There you go. So if,
1: if you if you if you want to hear more about this diet, contact me at, at Wheat Watcher on Twitter and we can talk about a deal. Only $200 to get more details on this diet plan.
0: There you go. That now is um,
1: the Wheat watcher <laughs> white law diet. Better than keto, better than Atkins, better than yeah. weight watchers. It's the And Wheat if watcher. um
0: and if you go quiet for a bit, uh, listeners, it's cuz he's run off to uh have a spew or uh, do something else in the toilet in between, because as as you know, we uh, very unprofessionally don't edit it much. Hugo, uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, <laughs> mate. Do you want to do you want to give us a quick rundown of your role at uh, at Agflow there, what you do, and just like you know, a quick twenty seconds or so, of what you do, and um, then we'll jump. Oh, who, who's into Agflow our... as well? Yeah, and who Agflow is, of course, and um and then we'll jump into our little uh, six cent thing just to warm up, and and then off we'll head about uh, talking a bit about climate stuff
2: all right yeah uh hello guys thanks for having me um so ag flow is a tech company uh in the ag uh, industry so basically what we do is we have a platform with a lot of uh data uh about uh cash prices about freight rates about trade flows so lineups data we have D data we have a lot of this data which is uh, the idea is to make it more transparent uh, uh, overall in the business, in the industry, so that people can make better decisions. They can uh, they can have better insights in into what they do in their trades, uh, in their analysis, and etc. And what I do there is actually I'm a, an analyst, so um, I I write articles actually uh, using our data to to showcase the the use uh, of our data. Um, and I also, uh, do a lot of, uh, background, uh, development stuff, uh, you know, meddling with the data and, uh, and, and, and just making sure that we have like a good product.
0: Excellent. Right. I might ask you a few more questions on that as well, just around that. Actually,
2: but before we do that, we,
0: we do this little warm up called the sixth sense. So we're just going to fire... A a, a one word at you and and you can give us the first word that comes to mind or even just a quick phrase if if a quick phrase is an easier Andrew are you going to go with this first uh, word for the uh, sixth sense
1: yep I've got the best one Eric Cantona
2: French (laughs) Uh, COP26 hope COVID-19 nightmare haggis nightmare (laughs) (laughs) Uh, don't know (laughs) you don't know
1: what it is or you don't have to no
2: I've never tried it I know what it is I've never tried it
1: Snails,
0: let Delicious. The, the they are indeed. And last one, uh, climate change.
2: Um, I don't, yeah, change. I, I was going to say change, but there's change in climate change, so... <laughs> What well, something
0: like something like variability or something or, or uh volatility?
2: Yeah, volatility yeah, yeah. is a good one. Not that
0: I want to not that I want to put words into your mouth, but um that's as good no, as any. Isn't. No, that's cool. All right. Well, so when you're mentioning, Hugo, about uh egg flow, I just wanted to clarify for the audience too. So it, it's a pretty much a global service as well, right? You're covering off not just on Europe and and North America and Canada and all those kind of areas, uh, but also into Australia as well in terms of the data and and indeed, some of the analysis—you um, know—you're using some of our stuff from uh, from TEM, not not from the Ag Watchers, of course, because we don't we don't analyze anything specifically. It's all the Thomas Elder Market stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, the idea is not to make it like a local product. is is just to have like a global view of of the of the market because. I mean, we are in a globalized uh, industry, uh, so it would, not, it would not make sense to have just like European or North American products. So, yeah, of course, we're trying to have like data all over the world. And, and of course, Australia is like a big part of it, especially for grains and oilseeds.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I kind of neglected to mention, obviously, Russia and all, all, all through there, you, you kind of focus on pretty much a global picture uh, across commodities as well. So there's a, there's a fair amount in terms of pricing data, but also uh, written analysis on there for people to look at. And so, so what we wanted to talk about was Lenina.
2: Yeah.
1: Because we've obviously, Lanina's finally been announced in, what, two weeks ago? Uh,
2: about that. About so, yeah. Something like that.
1: And, and I guess it was a good idea to get at you on to have a bit of a discussion about La Nina from an Australian point of view, but also from you know, an international point of view, what, what, what it impacts,
0: where it impacts and, and, and what you see happening. Mm. From, from, the, from the Australian perspective, and I'm, I'm sure um, you know, we can see when we're watching the nightly news that uh, what happens in Australia in a La Nina event, obviously, usually a lot wetter on the, on the eastern seaboard of the country. Not it doesn't always translate to a wetter period on the western side. Often that La Niña can mean a bit of a drier spell in the West, but neutral. this time around it hasn't neutral. To, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But not always wet like we do in the East Coast. Um, but the the converse in North America, and indeed in Canada, you can see that it, you know, you kind of switch from us having a wetter season in a La Niña, but North America, and we know Canada was suffering under significant drought period earlier in the year they have had some floods since then but yeah. um traditionally at la nina in in that part of the world is a dry pattern um what's the story in a, around europe and and uh you know in kind of that the, region
2: for for a la Nina
0: world. event yeah the rest of the world
2: so yeah that's actually super interesting because well first of all we get like two nina in a row so it's it's not that often really that this happens and Usually in Europe, there's actually La Nina is not like a strong effect. It's happening like thousands of kilometers away, Uh, but it does have an impact uh, over Europe. And usually what that means is also drier uh, and colder uh, weather. So normally this is not like a good thing for us, except this year so far it's been snowing. I think in France, for example, it's been snowing quite a lot. It's a bit cold as well. So the thing is that uh, you also have like different weather effect in the Atlantic uh, with the Arctic uh, um, oscillation, which is like bringing like some cold winds and, uh, and, and dry weather. And then you have the other one in North Atlantic that goes all the way from south of Spain uh, to uh, Iceland. Uh, which can just mess around with all like with la Nina effects so it's really hard to predict what's going to happen really in a, in a La Nina year but yeah usually you see a drier and colder pattern that's-
0: so is that a, a higher a higher kind of frost risk as well is that is that kind of that you, where you get a lot more frost damage uh, you know to, to the crop during that period of time and when you, you know, in, in la Nina patterns
2: yeah usually that's that's what you can see Um of course, it's not like, as I said, like a direct impact that you can just say, "Oh, La Nina this year uh frost," but it does it does influence a lot uh, over the dryness of, of of the air and the soils, and and I think actually that's what's happening right now. Like in December so far, we've had very cold weather in uh, in Western Europe.
0: And that and that, um, I guess it, one thing you said there too, Hugo was. Do you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that it, it usually comes in in two, like two years in a row. Is that the general pattern for Leninia in Europe?
1: And you said it doesn't happen very often, two years in a row.
0: Yeah, but it is. It, it, but when it does, it comes in twos often. Is that right?
1: No, it, the opposite. It doesn't often oh. come in twos. Uh, uh, no, okay, actually. So not, uh, uh,
0: right.
1: pay attention, Matt. <laughs>
2: we'll get through this. <laughs> oh, so so I'm just trying it?
0: to Yeah, yeah, you can you can hear us, okay? Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, so but a bit this, of a
2: internet issue.
0: okay. Is this uh this year it has happened two years in a row, but that's normally uncommon for you guys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um usually um La Ninas, they they rarely come into it's most often you see a La Nina and then it's going to alternate with El Nino, which is like literally just the converse of La Nina. Yeah, so yeah. when you see wet weather with La Nina, you see dry weather with El Nino. And it's really, I, th- I think, uh, if I remember, if I remember correctly, it didn't happen in, in, I think it happened once in the last 20 years to have like two Ninas in a row. Yeah.
0: That's an interesting one. Cause we, we have seen recently, um, through that La Nina event. So it wasn't so much in 2016, uh, 16, 17, we kind of had a year and a half worth. So it wasn't quite two years. But then prior to that, we had the 2010 11 episode. So again, it was another two year period. Um, I reckon, yeah, I don't know going back further than that, Andrew, but I kind of seem to think that it's not uncommon to see a year and a half, to, you know, ish to two years as a, as a La Nina. Uh, and then the normal thing after that, generally, we don't tend to switch as well quickly to a El Nino. It's usually a year or so of average, average kind of season. And then the risk for Australia, we often see, um, I was looking at the cycles from like that, what I call the wet La Nina pattern we see to the, to the dry El Nino normally in, in Australia, we see it, it Hello. go, you there. Yeah, I'm back. Yep, no, that's cool. Um, we normally see a um, if you look at the from the wet to the dry period, how many years that is. It tends to be between two to four years as a as an average. Um, you know, in between wet and dry. So we're now we're coming to this kind of into the second to third year of you know like this La Nina is going into a second year now. But generally speaking, we will get one or two years of average cup seasons, and then for us it's you know, we're kind of thinking that we're likely to see another dry pattern by about 2024, 2025, at least one year of dry. Based on the average. Um, yeah, based on the average kind of pattern. But you, you're saying, Hugo, that it's, it's a little bit different in, in the European and the, in the well, Northern well, Hemisphere. Well, well Lenina's, Lenina's Lenina La Lenina. It's, it's, it's a global a, thing, right? It's a
1: global, it's just a tangent temperature in, um, in the Pacific, in the sea level yeah but absolutely. we can have, we can have wet years matt without Nina.
0: Mm. and we're
2: gonna have dry years for el nino
0: yeah that's true as well yeah, it's not sure. always that yeah. i
2: mean it's not like just a binary thing which is
0: mm. no no yeah for no, sure i mean
2: sometimes you have like this in between phase which can make make it more dry or more wet but it's not like completely an el, yeah, el nino yeah
0: yeah and for you guys in europe it's um it's uh, like you're saying at the start because it's sometimes not as strong an influence, then you might not even notice a, a, a La Niño. Is that is that the same for an, for El Niño as well? Is it that that pattern isn't as strong as what you get in say Australia or in, in North America for, for, for El Niño, the, the, the dry cycle for us?
2: Well, yeah, kind of because – um Sometimes we get El Ninos that are boosted by uh, by the Arctic uh, Oscillation, uh, and then somehow, like you were expecting something quite mild, and it just becomes something ridiculously wet. We get a crazy wet winter. Um, but it it really depends. It's it's pretty really hard to monitor in Europe how uh, El Nino directly impacts crops. But you see signs, you see you see patterns that come in, and um, and it does have an impact overall uh, over the weather for sure.
1: Hugo, I'm just going to turn your video off just to improve your connection. Oh, I just turned that you... off instead. <laughs> yeah, that's better. By the my... way, I think
2: I'm going to turn my video off because my internet is quite unstable right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, so what we can look at for the next year is if it's a Lenina coming, you know that means airing on the side of caution. We could see, you know, a dry Argentina and a dry uh, North America, quite feasibly. Yep. Which is definitely what would you uh, and a dry Brazil and a dry Brazil, which would be supportive of uh, pricing. And I think that's where, where Australia sort of tends to win from from La Nina years is the fact that we get a uh, a pretty good uh, period of in you know, high production, and we will we'll not talk about the the price crash that we've had in the last couple of days due to the sort of the harvest pressure. Uh, but but reality is we've had high prices available for the last two months uh, because of issues elsewhere. So if we have a La Nina inspired sort of dryness in, in in the us and and south america along with hopefully good production then that's that's a positive for for, for our farmers matt what about the cattle what impact does the La Nina have on cattle
0: uh i mean from an australian perspective we've already seen some of it uh you know it's generally when we get that La Nina event it's a, it's a encourages the strong restocking type re, herd rebuilding activity because of the amount of uh, good quality pasture across much of the country, and we've seen that already for the last year or so. Um, you know, in terms of the herd rebuild, um, and so yeah, generally speaking, it tends to underpin uh, those kind of cattle prices, particularly if we, if it coincides with times where we've had um, you know uh, successive, you know, kind of downturn in the herd, and we're at low numbers like we've been now. and Equally, when when we saw the the recovery out of the 1415 um, drought, and then we switched to a La Nina after that uh, El, El Nino event in 1415, that was, you know, that, that was fueling quite strong pricing we saw through 1617. And now we're seeing it now through 2021. 20, um, you know, it was, uh, it, it really gives a bit of extra uh, momentum. Could
1: we, but could we see more destocking
0: in the US and South America then? Uh, well, yeah, the, yeah. of course, the US, we're in, we've seen the drought affecting, that's what kind of kicked off uh, their destocking phase in the US. We've probably got another uh, at least two years, maybe three years of destocking in the US. Um, generally, the US cycle tends to be a little bit more, you know, when they hit a destocking phase, it, it, it lasts for, on average, about six, six to eight years. Um, and we're we're in year three now, pretty much, so... Um, you know, we've got at least another two or three, I think, as a, as a rough rough rule, just in terms of how the, how the long-term historic trend in that US cycle has been. Um, I'm not sure whether the impact's the same within within uh, Europe, Hugo, have you got much insight into what happens with, you know, kind of uh, agricultural markets there or livestock markets there through, through that switch between La Niña and El Niño?
2: Well, I mean, um, in terms of of animals, like we're not really covering that much ourselves, but I think what's interesting is like how like feeding works for animals and and how like haystacks works, etc. So the thing is, yeah, when you get like a lot of uh, like in the in the in a La Nina year, you usually get a dry like dryish winter, and then A wetter spring, which actually this year turns out to be, it turned out to be like quite dramatic because there was hail, there was a lot of floodings, uh, especially in in the Black Sea. I think people uh, uh, have seen that a lot. Um, And it did damage the the quality of crops, which, well, I mean, a bit like Australia, what happened with with you guys is uh, uh, basically there was more downgrading of, of barley and, and, and wheat and therefore uh, more feeding for, for, for animals. So I don't really know how uh, cattle uh, producers actually uh, took this opportunity, but um, but definitely there's, there's a lot of stocks there. Tell, mm. tell, t- talking
1: talking about that weather impact on the crop, tell us a bit more about what happened this year in, in France and Germany.
2: All right. So, so the thing is, uh, as I was saying, um, when spring rolled out, um, basically a lot of rain came in, which in the first place was good. Uh, people, uh, like farmers really enjoyed it because it was, it was actually uh, the right timing for the crops. But uh, this actually turned out uh, to be too much for them. And uh, a lot of floods hap- happened in uh, in Germany, uh, actually, as uh, as you could have seen on the news, if, if you follow the international news. Um, and then in, in France as well, uh, a lot of, uh, of hail, and that did damage the crop a lot. But the yield was actually excellent for, for corn, for example. So there was a, a big production, but low quality overall and uh, and it did actually damage a lot French uh, wheat since um, you know the, the bread making quality for French wheat is, is very particular especially in France in you know, a domestic market um, and, and it actually was borderline uh, bad for, 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 for bread makers because the quality was a bit lower than what, what was expected for bread making However, that was actually a good opportunity for exports.
0: Mm. Is that um...
2: why, why,
1: why was that a good opportunity for exports? Uh,
2: because you have uh countries all over, uh, all across uh, the Mediterranean Sea that uh they can't really rely on their own production of, of wheat, yeah, yeah. and they, they do a lot of tendering and a lot of imports of, of uh, European and Black Sea wheat, and if the French quality for bread making that you, you would use domestically uh, can be used for export. It means more export supply, which means uh, more accessible prices. Um, and so that, that was somehow an opportunity, but then came in Ukraine and then Ukraine just had like a, an amazing year. They just had the perfect conditions and they just like, they just took the whole market basically. Just
0: net changing, um, Changing tack a little bit, Hugo, I've mentioned about COP26 at the start of our Sixth Sense uh, scenario, and you'd mentioned, I think you said hope was the word that came out on that one. Um, Australia, obviously, we we did attend uh, eventually. Andrew Scott Morrison eventually went across in the end. Um, But there was a couple of... uh decisions that were made and 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 uh, the one I'm thinking of was the, the methane pledge was one of the key ones that came out of it that Australia refused to um to kind of agree to that one. I think it was about hundred countries that did. Um but the general perception around COP26 within Europe, Hugo, was it was, a, was it was considered a, a success in terms of what they were able to achieve? Um and what's the what's the kind of feeling in the agricultural community within Europe, is, is you know, with regards to climate change and what needs to be done, um, you know, particularly towards Australia, because um, there's a perception out there that maybe if Australia doesn't kind of embrace what they need to embrace, I guess from a from a European perspective, um, you know, that, that that we could start to get a a bit of um, tariff based punishments or some other kind of reactions if uh, if we're seen to be not. Um, you know, getting on board with some of the these global uh, pledges that are being agreed to at COP? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I was actually quite puzzled by that because uh, I actually thought that it would have been, uh, in the first place, that it would have been great if Australia just uh, just came in with the others and just agreed. Uh, so I actually read a bit about the subject and it turns out it's, it's not that, Bad of a decision for Australia, but in the European community, um, we have a different perception because obviously it's just so far away, and you don't have necessarily this uh, this vision of things of what's actually happening uh, on uh, in the field on in Australia. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, uh, in the French perspective, they they they're just generally angry at Australian Right now, I don't know why. Something about submarines. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, no, yeah, um, we're not. Uh, we're
0: certainly. Um, yeah, we've got a bit of mending to do from the from the just from the French side of things. But it's it's more. I know that sometimes there's a, there or there in some circles within Australia there's there's a narrative around if we don't. If we're not seen to be doing more as a country with regards to climate and we're still clinging to coal and some of the things that that somehow that's going to tarnish our reputation and maybe, in, you know, impact upon our ability to export into certain markets with certain products, but as in ag products, is that is that the perception that's, yeah. you know, generally in Europe in terms of, or, or is it, you know, are we overreacting here and, and you guys aren't really too focused on on exactly what Australia is doing regards with regards climate uh, policies.
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely like honestly, uh Europe is actually more looking inwards than outwards. So when it comes to politics, obviously, it's looking at the whole world, but when it comes to actually applying those politics, it's really looking inwards because there's a lot of work to do. I mean, you're basically putting 27 nations that are trying to work together towards one goal. So it's it's really hard sometimes to actually get everyone to be happy. And then, you have a lot of divisions. For example, France is a big nuclear power. It's, it's most of its of, of the electricity in France is coming from uh, nuclear nuclear power plants, um, which actually is been uh, has been uh, told off by Germany and other nations, uh, which are still using a lot of coal. So there's still some uh, you know some different visions of things in Europe, but the overall thing is that Europe is seeing climate change and especially like farmers on the farmer's side, they're seeing climate change as bad news because there is less predictability. Uh, It's really uh, harder to to actually create an environment when you can uh, uh, determine your supply and demand. And because uh, Europe agriculture exports are quite important. Um, And like, I, I do stress a lot about France, but just to give you an idea, France is actually so you know Europe is actually uh, committing a budget uh, for a period of five years uh, to to help farmers to 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 help the uh, the agricultural agricultural system, and France is getting a third of that over five years.
0: Right, so, yeah,
2: so that's a, a big, chunk, like,
0: big chunk. Yeah. Of it. yeah. Has um has there been uh, like within Australia? I'd say. I mean, we, I'm just saying anecdotally, Andrew. Um, would you say? what 60 or 70 percent of you know kind of farmers I'm not sure if they're ambivalent or whether they're not quite Australian farmers that is a bit ambivalent or a bit unsure as to whether you know there's still a bit of a de- debate in Australia um around whether it's a, a, th- a bit a thing for concern climate change but it's slowly changing I think there are becoming more think, and more farmers.
1: I think the biggest issue is well there's an expectation to make change but you know, there's no extra money available mm. to, to make that change. There's no money from the, let's be honest, there's not there's a lot of things saying, oh, you get paid extra for your grain. Well, that's nonsense, really, so far. Uh, you can mm. pay extra for your, for your livestock or whatever, but that's largely nonsense as well. So it's sort of a case of, well, you know, you're not really going to get rewarded for it yet. And, I, and mm. I, like I've said the same. I think we said this in a podcast previously. I think we said it to Fiona Simpson and Michael Gooden. And you know, any time we talk about climate change, there's no point, in my view, at least, mm. it's not really but much ge- point. Not much point doing anything until it's ready. But I think mm. people. I know, I know that the lot like
2: like if
0: Australian farmers uh, and as in the 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 you know Fiona Simpson's group and and like MLA we know have got a carbon neutral policy and all. So some of the Industry bodies, are all, all, on board. All, all all the industry bodies are on board. Yeah, yeah. But
1: whether individual farmers are on board is, yeah, is, another, is yeah. another thing.
0: But yeah, but that's the point, right? And now I'm I'm it saying that maybe doesn't really matter. No, that's true. But but you know, when you're out there in the grassroots, it doesn't seem to be every you know all the farmers are are really kind of aligned with with what the bodies are saying, right? Um, and I'm just wondering, is that a similar scenario in Europe or? Or is it a no like is it not a not an issue in Europe? Well, I think I, got, go... I can
1: talk about England and whatnot, but what I see mm. there is a lot of you know similar sort of attitudes towards climate change. Mm. However, if they're gonna get mm. paid to put a barge yesterday in, or they're gonna get paid to do put a windmill in, or yeah. you sort of oh well, my opinions,
0: you know, I might not believe in it, but I'm gonna get paid for it. Mm. Is that the same yeah. in, in yeah. Europe as well? Like in, in in continental Europe, like you know, France, Germany, elsewhere, are, are the farmers uh, are they still kind of arguing the point, or are they ambivalent, or are they are they kind of pretty much saying, yeah, climate change I thing we've got to deal with it, and we've got to deal with it
2: now. I, f- I think there's there's definitely a, a knowledge growth like <clears throat> farmers are sorry farmers are definitely um, starting to understand what's happening, and they definitely see how we can uh, affect their crops. But it's the same situation when you don't work with a lot of money, uh, un- unless you actually get the incentive of it, then you don't really care for it because you have other things to think about right now. And and actually, as a matter of fact, um, so along with COP26, you know, there's there's this whole thing about uh, uh, organic agricultural um, products, which are better for your health, better for the source, better for the environment. And... Europe has just passed a law which is called the F2F, so fork to uh, farm to fork, uh, which is basically trying to make products a lot uh, a lot healthier uh, from from for the throughout the whole supply chain mm. and actually there's been a lot of protest uh, by farmers because they're basically saying that uh, you don't allow us to use uh, uh, more fertilizers you don't allow us to to do this and that there's a lot more restrictions uh, just to do that and that will basically just uh, kill us so that's the same spirit really it's it's basically saying that unless you actually allow us to to sell uh, or product higher, or if you uh, allow us to to if you give us money to, to do the things that you want to you want us to do then it's it's really killing us it's killing our business so they don't really want to agree with it
0: mm. yeah you no, fair enough that's uh it makes it a difficult scenario i might just before because we we're getting late in the night here and um I'm I'm conscious that Andrew's hanging in there, so he hasn't had to rush off to the toilet yet. But I don't want <laughs> to drag it on too much longer. But I just thought one other thing: when you mentioned about uh, you know the dynamic between within Europe and the 28 member countries that have to do stuff, and it got me thinking about um, the with Angela Merkel now moving on, and and Germany obviously, mm. and, and Merkel in, in particular having such a such an influence as part of the EU political kind of group. Um, is, is yeah. that kind of, is, is it now the case that, that someone like Emmanuel Macron, uh, you know, will, will take the lead within, you know, like the figurehead within the EU and, and, and start to push or, or as, uh, Macron's, re- uh, sorry, is uh, Merkel's replacement. Do you think they'll have as much, uh, sway as what she had or, uh, or, or, you know, do you think this is the time now for maybe France to take the lead, uh, you know, as, as the kind of, you know. I know they're all equal within Europe, but but there's often there's there's, there's a particular politician that uh, or groups of politicians yeah, that, yeah. that have a bigger sway. Is that is that the case we're in for a, a few years worth of um, of uh, Macron's uh,
2: influence? Well, actually, that's uh, that's a good question, and we we don't know until uh, I think March this year, because French uh, uh, France is actually having a presidential election this year, so. <clears throat> so he might not even be Macron uh, at okay. the head of state. <laughs> what's, the, uh, on,
0: what's the on the ground kind of polling? And not that the polls have been very good. I mean, the, you know, the polls when Trump got in were pretty ratchet. Apart from Andrew's tip that you, know, you were you were one of the few Andrew that that uh, backed Trump in. But um, got it right. Got Boris right. <laughs> got Brexit right. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> Boris and Trump and Brexit. So uh, what's the what's the feeling as far as the polls go with Macron? Has he got a chance, or or um, if he's out, then we might we might be able to get a a fresh start in Australia with a new French leader that might not be as angry at us. (laughs) Um,
2: So I think from the polls, from, from what you see, from what you hear, a lot of people think that Macron is going to get, is going to get reelected really not because people enjoy him that much, but rather because they don't see anyone else that, would fit the position um but you know i mean everyone, a, a lot of people were surprised by uh trump election is different system of course but they were surprised by that i don't know there could be a surprise but honestly the boots on the ground feeling is that yeah macron should should be should get reelected, mm. which basically in turn is going to from like uh, coming back to what, what you were saying before is i think i think if he gets reelected so if he continues he will definitely push to towards this uh this uh, you know like shadow presidency of uh, of europe uh it is done that already when uh, with the with the brexit uh talks where france was taking the lead and he was the most vocal about it um and i think it's uh it's it's a position that he might want to take and uh yeah, I mean, and concerning agriculture, it's it's a position that he, he he can hold because, as I said, like France is is I think the largest producer of grain, oil seeds, and even in general agricultural products in Europe. So,
0: mm. so that um, from that perspective, then if we've got French election with Macron likely to get in, more likely than, than to get in than to not get in, and. Macron with with Merkel out of the picture for the European uh, region uh, more likely to have a bigger sway so you're not um, you're not paying a good picture for, for Australia for we've got uh, an angry macron still uh, <laughs> still kind of sulking about the submarine deal um, it could it could mean that um, <laughs> you know uh, we have to do a lot of work to uh, you know to uh, repair mend the bridges you think maybe this podcast can be you know, one of the first. Uh, you Exa- know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Australia bridge to build between yeah. Australia and, and Europe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we might work on it. Uh, <laughs> but um, but look, it's been. Uh, I think we've we've kind of we've exhausted a lot of your time. Like I said, Andrew's Andrew's soldiered through without um, having to rush away. But I know I an attempt fate and and in uh, kind of have that uh, you know recorded for uh, for perpetuity on the podcast. Andrew um, spewing into a, a bin or something. Um, so we might we might make it a make make a an end to it. But um, appreciate you coming on, Hugo. It's been uh, good to get your insights. Um, Andrew, you you um, you're pretty comfortable. To, going back to bed now.
1: Don't don't get food poisoning. It's not worth it. Um, uh, but no, thanks for thanks for coming along, Hugo. Uh, it's always hard to organise yeah, time zones it, and whatnot.
2: And I've got a, yeah. It's got been a cr- it's been difficult. <laughs> And I've
1: got a crying baby in the background as well that I can hear. So somebody's going to bed. So uh.
0: <laughs> Might be an early night in the Whitehall household. Yeah, every, everyone going to bed early. And um, yeah, your wife can just mix up that, that tea she's been giving you made out of um, paper, Andrew. Cyanide tea or something. I don't know
1: why it tastes like, uh, <laughs> tastes like amaretto. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, thanks for coming along, Hugo. We'll, we'll get you along next time something's happening in Europe
0: and uh so, yeah thanks for that it's ex- it's excellent um thanks for listening around. and see when you've uh, got nothing on
1: ciao for now